have a seat. We are continuing on uh, in the Jesus I Know Him uh, series looking at, hey, when we say Merry Christmas, when we celebrate Christmas, like no other uh, faith group in the world, and we're talking about the Jesus of Christmas, don't the Christians of this world, shouldn't we know Jesus differently than everybody else celebrating Christmas? <laughs> And so, uh, without further ado, I want to start with Justin Bieber, because that's how you're supposed to start. No? All right. Well, back when I was a youth pastor, uh, I remember Justin Bieber being that like adorable little heartthrob that everybody wanted to go see, the YouTube sensation, all of that things, turned train wreck. Uh, all the girls loved him, and then all of a sudden, he became this party animal, this person that you're like, man, I don't want my daughter looking up to this dude, and like he was all sorts of cray-cray, right? And so it started, these, these rumors started to come out that he might be turning his life over to Jesus. And in that, I was like, man, Judah Smith, he was a pastor out in like California, Washington, that whatever, the, the other coast. And he was working with Justin Bieber and talking to him about Jesus and what on. And you know where my mind went? Judah, what are you doing with the likes of Justin Bieber? You must be like, what type of a pastor are you that you're hanging out with a train wreck, Justin Bieber? But, you know, I was thinking about that, and recently he was in Brazil uh, at a concert, uh, speaking to, uh, singing to thousands and thousands and thousands of people, and in the middle of the song, in the middle of the concert, he sang one of his songs because he did an album with Christian artists to Jesus, a wor and not necessarily a worship album, but he collabed with a whole bunch of Christian artists, and he was about to sing a song about Jesus to people, and in the middle of the song, he's at his, at his uh, um, piano, and he says, doesn't read, says, memorize John 3, 16, and he shared it to the whole audience. It wasn't like a sign. It wasn't just like a, hey, you guys should check out this verse. It's rad. He says in the middle of it, for God so loved the world. I can't share, I couldn't share the clip because, Landon, you can go to it because it would kick us off all of our uh, social medias. But right there, you guys can't see it, but that is a clip of like the, him saying, whoever uh, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, whoever, you know, he says the whole verse. And so there you had thousands and thousands of people know the truth in one verse that you feel like God has forgotten you, but you are God so loved. And there are some nail-pierced hands that prove that you are God so loved. And so I looked up an article. Here's what Judah Smith uh, said about uh, working with him. Uh, he said uh, Judah Smith was the one leading uh, uh, Judah, um, Justin Bieber to... Uh, to Jesus, I feel I've learned more from Justin Bieber than I could have ever learned, that he could ever learn from me, Landon, go to the next one. And then he says, what really matters in life is when you have hundreds of millions, is not when you, uh, even when you have hundreds of millions, is that you are one of the most, and you are, you are one of the most famous people in the world, is a relationship with God and each other. It's an authentic relationship. You can have the world and money, you can have the world and fame, but at the end of the day, that don't mean anything. <laughs> What matters is a relationship with Jesus, and that's what Judah was saying. This is why I was speaking to him, to say all that other stuff doesn't matter. Jesus Christ matters. And so it got me thinking, why did I start by judging Judah Smith? Isn't that why we're in ministry? Isn't that why when God's, when God's leaving the earth, when Jesus is leaving the earth, what, what did he say? Go. His first word was Go. Go into all the world. Go and do something. But we go to one side of the pendulum where we want to judge Christians that are talking to people far from Jesus. 
We, we feel like, we're, hey, I, God does not want me associating with people far from God. But did Jesus model that? Oh, we'll go to the other extreme. Here's the other bad extreme. We'll say, oh, Jesus wants me to reach the unchurched, so I'll live like a heathen to reach heathens. Huh? That doesn't make sense. So how do we reach people that do not know Jesus while also maintaining holiness? Because when we pray for one, one of our values here at Wellspring is to reach after, pray for people that do not know Jesus Christ by name. When we do that, that might mean that we have to hang out with people that make us feel uncomfortable. And it also means that I think we should do that because one day we will stand before God and I don't want to stand before God and have to tell him I never shared your love with anybody. So let's look at Jesus in Mark chapter two and see the type of people that Jesus was saying, hey, come follow me, come hang out with me. Let's look at him and how he pursued sinners and how Jesus, who we claim and we believe was perfect, also maintained his holiness as, as he chased after unholy people. Here's what it says in Mark chapter two. He says, he went out again besides, uh, beside the sea. And all the crowd was coming to him. Jesus has a crowd coming to him. People know him. He has fame. He's doing good things. And he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of a dude's name I can't pronounce, sitting at a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. See Jesus in this scene? He's not fixated on the crowd. Like, that's what you would think, right? Like, and like in, 20, in 2022, like, Jesus has like a million followers. Like, Jesus is like, you would think, I'm going to keep my following. Or I'm going to focus on keeping my crowd. But Jesus right here is focused on an individual. And an individual who's, who's a tax collector. And we might, we've, maybe, we've kind of grown up in cultural Christianity where maybe we, we know that a, a tax collector is a, a bad person. In the Bible times, those are, those are bad people. Why are they bad people? Because they are Jewish people working for the Romans to collect taxes from Jewish people to give them to Rome. They are Jewish sellouts. They are people that are, are raising the taxes on their own people to take money themselves and then give the rest to Rome. They're stealing from their own people. And so because of that, because, they've, they weren't, because of that, they weren't allowed in the temple. They've all but announced their faith. In fact, a Jewish person, if you were to walk down the street and even uh, touch the, the house of a, of a tax collector, you were then considered unclean. Like these were the lowest of lowest people in society and the Jewish people wanted nothing to do with them because in essence, they were running a mafia-like industry on their own people. And Jesus, who has a crowd before him, sees an individual who is spiritually bankrupt. Sees somebody who's far from God and doesn't avoid him. Do you see, did you... Did you see where Levi is? He's in the tax booth. <laughs> He's doing the very thing that makes him a low life. He's doing the very thing that makes him spiritually bankrupt. And Jesus comes up to him while he's doing the deed that makes him a dirty scoundrel and says two words. Come join my team. 
That's crazy. Like, think about your darkest moment and, and imagine Jesus walking up right aside you and saying, you idiot. No, he doesn't say that. Walking right up beside you and saying, hey, come join my team. And here's the crazy thing. Levi does. <laughs> it's so crazy that Jesus would want to be associated with somebody like that. And that day and age, that's a scandalous act of grace. And Levi is like, you want to be with me? All I know is religious people wanting nothing to do with me. All I know is that time the priest said, you're no longer welcome to the synagogue. And now there's a rabbi coming to me and saying, come follow me. And guess what Levi does? He does. So this is, this, is, this is insane that Jesus would do that. But then guess what? It's also insane that Levi would be in his tax booth collecting money, 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 because money was his God. And he leaves. He walks away. He, he wasn't just like, okay, Jesus, I'll follow you, but I'm also going to keep doing this tax collect. He actually left. He gave up all of the money, all that came with being a tax collector. He gave it away to follow Jesus. Jesus came close and Levi stayed close. And I was thinking about this. There is no shortage of examples of like Levi type people that turned to Jesus and we could, we could share some type of a testimony. But I'm Levi. You're Levi. We're all Levi, aren't we? We all come, at, come in here with a pool of our own sin. I was thinking about that this week and like how unworthy I am of Jesus Christ, but yet Jesus looks at me and says, I want you. That, that moment where, where I was, I don't, like now it was probably 14 years ago. Where, that moment where I was judging Justin Bieber for, being, uh, for drinking and whatnot, where I had my own drinking issues. And one morning and one night I, I ran my mouth after having a few drinks and, and hurt people in my church and fully expected that I should be fired from my job and that I should, that there was no way. I was unfit, 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 unfit. Talking to my boss, having, my, ha having to explain it to Ava and Ava being like, <laughs> venom. And my boss... He should have created distance. He should have created distance. But instead, with no promise of my job, he actually brought me closer. He actually met with me on a weekly basis to work through uh, The Saving Life of Christ by Major Ian Thomas. <laughs> he mentored me. He brought me closer, and he, and he poured into me. And then within a year, he looked at the idiot Jason Koash, who hasn't touched a drop of alcohol since then. It's not just uh, easy grace. No, it's like you change your life because Jesus changes your life. And said, hey, why don't you plan a church? <laughs> you want to trust me with hundreds of thousands of dollars when I, what? Because he brought me close. Isn't that Grace. Like the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they're all about telling you how unworthy you are. But Jesus is all about telling you about himself and why he's after you. That's my Jesus. And that's why the Pharisees don't want anything to do with Jesus. Because Jesus sees people for who they can become. Here's how it goes on. And he says, as he reclined at table in the house, many, can you guys say many? Say many, many. 
many, okay, a lot of people, a lot of tax collectors. Now it's not just one. Now there's a whole slew of these doofuses uh, and sinners reclining with Jesus and his disciples for there uh, were many. What's the result of Jesus hanging out with Levi, hanging out with many people in need of Jesus? What's the result? Many followers. Isn't that a good thing? Okay, uh, and the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to the disciples, not Jesus, they said to the disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? They don't like it. <laughs> like, they, like, okay, first off, Levi must have been like really rich. Because in that day and age, to have a house party like that, to have a slew, many, 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 many people over your house, that means that you have wealth. So Levi has wealth. And because Levi is now following Jesus, he has a whole bunch of idiot friends that do not know Jesus. And he says, hey, guys, let's get together and hang out with a rabbi. And they do. And I walked in Jesus' shoes for a second. Here, let's, let's do a test. This week... Invite me over to your house and tell all of your friends that do not know Jesus and hate Jesus, hey, there's a pastor coming over. Let's have dinner with him. Do you think anybody's going to come? <laughs> Probably not. But Jesus, because of Jesus, because of what he was doing, because of his message of grace, because of what he stood for, there was all. And because of the life change of Levi, Levi throws a dinner party and a whole bunch of people come to hang out. And because Jesus was there, many, 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 said yes to a relationship with Jesus Christ because Jesus went close. There is no, nothing here that says Jesus participated with the dirty things that they were doing, but Jesus was there in proximity to share his amazing love and closeness. Where are the religious leaders? Jesus is at the table. The religious leaders are on the outside looking in. They see something. They see something. And so the posture of Jesus is to be at the table with us, sharing the message. The posture of a religious leader is to be distant, looking in and judging. Jesus came close. There's a stark contrast in where the, where the Pharisees are and where Jesus is. They're likely looking through a window. They don't like what they see, and so they go to his disciples and manipulate, hey, what's his motivations? Why is he giving these guys the time of day? Why would they talk like this? Because this thought is so foreign to them. They wanted the appearance of holiness. They would never hang out with unholy people because they want to look holy themselves. And so following God on mission for a broken world is such a foreign concept to them. That is such an unholy thing to pursue the mission of God in their mindset. Yet Jesus rejoices when all of these sinners come to know him as Lord and Savior. If the religious leaders want to criticize them. And this was going throughout all the land. Because we would know the term Pharisee as like hypocrisy. We would see that as a bad term. If someone calls you a Pharisee, they're not giving you a compliment. But in that day and age, Pharisees were held in high regard. Pharisees were looked up upon. Pharisees, if they said something, you listened to them like a robot. And so for the Pharisees to think this, Jesus is being so countercultural. I studied for these sermons about six months out. So six months ago, I was, I was reading on commentaries and whatnot. And in my notes, I said to myself, Jason, I wonder what it would be like 
If you took a syringe, I, I, one of my kids must have been sick at the time. If you took a syringe like this and said this, was, this represented your sin, Jason, you should do that and then bring a bucket up on stage representing all of your sins. That's what I said in my notes, okay? So this week I started, I was like, oh man, this is gonna be, this is gonna be killer. Let's do that. And so I started, you know, Googling. I started like, I was like, did you know the average person lies four times a day? I said that to Ava and she was like, no way. I don't lie four times a day. And then she paused and she said, wait, do white lies count? Yes, they do. Uh, she said, okay, maybe four. All right. So average person four times a day, all your thoughts, all of your text messages, all of your DMs, all the things that you laugh at that God doesn't laugh at. When you kind of like add it all up, you're like, hmm. And I said, I'm probably good for 20 a day. And I think I live a pretty decent life. 20 a day, I probably undersold it though, like if we're gonna be honest, okay? And, uh, and so I started doing the math. I, started, I literally went to my kitchen table, got a bucket, got water, and went one, squirt, two, squirt. And then I, I calculated out a day. I, I went to Google and said, how, how many days have I been alive as of the day of this preaching? And then I calculated it all up. If I have 20 sins a day, okay, great. Jason, bring the bucket up on stage that would represent a life of sin. I can't. Because this doesn't even cover it. This is a 300-gallon feeding trough that we turned into a baptism. I need three of these. That's my life of sin. What's yours? But here's the problem. And here's what the Pharisees do. They stand in their sin. And they don't see it as holy to go after other people because they're fixated on this one sin in your life. This one thing. This one thing. Or that uncle that you don't want to invite to Christmas dinner. Or, or that friend at work that, 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 that told one lie about you 20 years ago. I will never tell them about Jesus because of this one thing. We get fixated on this one thing. While we sit in pool after pool after pool of our own sin. And the God that I know that is proving it in this text left heaven to come and stand in our sin, not participate in our sin, but to stand in our sin with us and says, I want you. And then in turn, I want you to go and share this message of grace as one who has received grace. And the Pharisees stand in their own pool and say, forget, forget all my sin, you suck because the Pharisees want distance. Where Jesus came and stood in our place for us, died for us, and in exchange, gives us his perfect life. So perhaps being on mission for Jesus Christ will take you to uncomfortable places where you have to say, I'm not fixating on this. I'm fixating on Jesus. I think the Rajas are an example of a how-to to do, how to do this. Uh, Halloween, you know what they did? 
They're, they're, they live on a cul-de-sac, and, uh, and they, they, had a, they had a block party where they had a Halloween party. They dressed up. Josh is playing the drum in an elf costume. He's not ashamed to get dressed up. That's good, okay? So they all get dressed up. The parents are having a fun time. The kids are having a fun time. Some of them probably got drunk. Not the Rajas. They don't drink. So they, they participated without participating. <laughs> and I was texting with Krista this week about like this and how they, how they use their neighborhood to reach people that don't know Jesus. And she's like, yeah, we, we hung out. We did the Halloween thing. We didn't participate with the bad stuff, but we, we tried being in proximity with them, not being a Pharisee that's going to stay, stay away from me, stay away from me, stay away from me. They found a way to come close. And Chris is like, yeah, I invite them to Bible studies all the time. Yeah, I invite them to Christmas Eve. Yeah, I tell them about Bayside, which is around the corner. Yeah, I do this. Yeah, yeah. And none of them have said yes to Jesus yet. But those invites slowly carry more and more weight. Why? As relationships are getting built up. So on there, uh, you can see on the, on the screen there, you can see a little, oh, you missed that. Okay, Landon. Okay, go to the next one, Landon. Go to the next one. Go to the little blue dot. That's the address of Wellspring Church. Go to the next one, Landon. Uh, that's the, that little red thing right there is Wellspring Church. I hope... When you, if you were to Google your address, you can find that little red dot. What I hope is true of Wellspring Church is that we are a beacon of hope. That we are not a place here downtown saying, hey, sinners, stay away. You suck, you suck, you suck. That we would find a way to say, let me tell you about my Jesus. <laughs> that that would be a beacon of hope, of grace, of love. Because that's the message of Jesus. And so if you were to type in your address, I hope that's just boo, boo, boo. Hope, 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 hope. Love, love, love. That everybody would know where that little dot is. Wherever there's a Christian home right there, whatever your neighborhood is, if, you put, if that was the Raj's address, beacon of hope, beacon of hope, beacon of hope. That should be all, true of all of us. That it's not a place to hide behind our faith, but it's a place to pursue our faith through the world around us. Here's where Jesus goes on to talk to the people that are judging him. He says, and when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need no need of a physician but those who are sick i came to call the right i have not called i have come not to call the righteous but sinners the pharisees who are morally bankrupt let's like anybody else he's using kind of a play on words you don't see yourself as a sinner you don't see yourself this way so you know what i'm not here for you i'm here for those that know full well that they are spiritually dead and in need of a savior I'm here for the people that know that they have a terminal disease in their, spirit, in their sin. And I'm here to be the answer for them. You must see yourself as lost before you can be found. You must see yourself as spiritually sick before you can be spiritually healed. And the pinnacle of all holiness, the embodiment of holiness said, I came for you. I came for sinners. I came to draw close to sinners because there is a very key word in the verse that we just read. Need. One group said, I don't need them. That then means that the other group thought they did. Knows that they do. That a doctor has a job to do. The doctor doesn't go to the hospital just to hang out with sick people. 
The doctor goes to the hospital on mission. The doctor is one that is telling sick people how they can get better, and, they, and he knows what he or she knows what healthy looks like. So we have a job to do, and we should stop judging people from afar for the job that they are doing. We, the, the, yesterday, the Colts were winning huge at halftime. 33 nothing. We have some fans of the Colts. <laughs> One in the room. Okay. No. <laughs> the greatest comeback in regular season history. The Colts lost in overtime. <laughs> Crazy. Unfortunately, it was Matt Ryan as a quarterback because he's also the quarterback of the team that lost the biggest upset, not upset, but the biggest comeback in Super Bowl history came when Matt Ryan was the quarterback. <laughs> Do you know who Matt Ryan lost to in that quarterback, in that game, in that Super Bowl? <laughs> My Patriots. <laughs> And I remember that game. I remember that Super Bowl. Ava loves people. She loves hanging out with people. And she said, Jason, let's have a Super Bowl party. I was like, you're tripping. I don't want to hang out with anybody, even my own family, while I'm watching the Super Bowl. So we had a lot of people over our house for the Super Bowl. <laughs> I was like, we just started the church. Why would we want to end the church at the Super Bowl party at Pastor Jason's house? And during the first half, when the Patriots were getting smoked, I was screaming at Tom Brady, telling him exactly how to play quarterback. I was screaming at the refs, telling them how they could be a better ref. I was screaming at the coach. I was screaming. I was, I was all sorts of everything. There was 20 people in my house. By the time the halftime show was over, it was me and one other guy. <laughs> Literally a true story. I had literally been so miserable that everybody left my house. <laughs> because I was, I am known as, in the football world, an armchair quarterback. Have you ever heard of them? Well, here's a picture of an armchair quarterback. If you want to get a, a Halloween costume, you can be a Halloween, uh, you can be an armchair quarterback. Telling the team that you're not on the field, but you're telling those on the field exactly how they can do their job. There's a definition, Lane, go to the next slide. There's a definition on how, what an armchair quarterback is. A person who is not a quarterback, but offers opinions and criticism on the performance and the decisions of those that are. We have way too many armchair Christians. Judging those that are on the field. Telling them how they would be better at it. Judging them for even being on the field. We need more Christians in pursuit of a lost world. More Christians on the field and less armchair Christians. Doctors, they have a job to do. True doctors are on the field. True doctors know when there's a time for training. True doctors know when there's a time for healing. True doctors know when to be on the field and when to not be on the field, but hanging out with other, other doctor friends when they need to uh, equip them themselves. The, true doctors know how to take precautions with masks and gloves and whatnot. True doctors go and do their job on purpose. Go and do their job with intentionality. They're not going to the hospital just to get sick. They're going to the hospital with all of the background, all of the training to go on purpose in pursuit of helping other people get healthy. That's the Jesus I know. The Jesus I know goes after sinners. Why? Because Jesus and the sinner is a match made for heaven. <laughs> you know who Levi becomes 
Levi would eventually have a new name. You know what his new name is? Matthew. Do you know how the New Testament starts? The New Testament, first four books of the New Testament. You know what they are? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. <laughs> Levi became Matthew, who became a disciple or follower of Jesus Christ. That tax collector who would be trusted by no one, who was known for being a liar, Jesus saw what he could become and said, you know what? I'm going to let four people give an account of my life. You're going to be one of them. You're going to give actual testimony, 25% of the life of my life. I'm going to let you write. I trust you with that because of what you can become. We don't necessarily know how uh, uh, Matthew died. It ranges from beheaded or stoned or burned or stabbed. The, the rumors are out there. Which one of those? But the fact remains that he gave his life for his faith. Jesus saw what he could become. In someone's lowest moment, Jesus is in pursuit. That's the Jesus I know. The Jesus I know offered hope where there was no spiritual hope. That's the Jesus I know. The Jesus I know isn't about distance. The Jesus I know is about closeness. That's the Jesus I know. And there is one true master for us all. I hope that's the Jesus that you know. Are you like the master? Are you friends with sinners? Do you hang out with people far from God, not just for a good time, but to tell them about Jesus Christ? To be there with a purpose to love and care for sinners, to serve sinners. Wherever we go, we should be dispensing hope. Grace should lead us to be more like Jesus, a friend of sinners. So this week is busy. Christmas is coming. You guys have a lot to do. So my challenge is challenging. And because of that, it might be the best time to give it. I'm challenging you this week to have a meal with a sinner to have a meal with somebody unchurched. You're at work and you have a 30-minute lunch break. You usually work through your lunch break, not this week. This week, you're going to actually go to the break room and you're going to have a meal with Susie Joe. that's about to get fired because she did something dirty, dirty. And everybody else doesn't want to have a meal with her, but you're going to have that meal. Usually you work through lunch, but so-and-so called you up and like, you're like, fine, I'm going to take it. I'm going to take him to Chili's. Whatever it might be, I'm challenging you this week to not make excuses. I know it's not convenient. I know the Christmas season is busy, but I'm challenging you this week to go beyond busy, to go on mission for Jesus Christ. This is why we pray for one. This is why we go after people because Jesus did. We pray for one by waking up every single day saying, God, give me one person to share your love with. And we pray for people by name. So-and-so Jesus doesn't know you as Lord and Savior. Jesus, let me be in proximity. Give me a way. Give me an excuse. I will do it. I will go and I will be that beacon of hope. It's said that Mother Teresa was in the slums cleaning a leper. A leper who would be much like a tax collector in Jesus' day. And as she was cleaning that leper, somebody walked by, someone was there kind of visiting and seeing what was going on, saw that Mother Teresa was cleaning the body of a leper. And he said out loud, I wouldn't do that for a million dollars. And it said that Mother Teresa looked up 
and said, neither would I, and went back to cleaning. I hope that we leave here and find the work and the mission of Jesus Christ as priceless. And we get to be on pursuit of those far from God. So would you stand and sing only Jesus with me? Jesus, this is all about you. So here's what we mean by that. Here's where it gets practical for you and I. That means if life is all about Jesus, your life is not about your darkest sins. You are not the sum of all that you have done wrong. I feel like I'm a pretty good person standing on three or 900 gallons of sin. How about you? I'm not the sum of any of this. But it also means that I'm not the sum of all of my good, good decisions. I'm good enough. God will never turn his back on me. You're not the sum of all your good decisions. What we believe is that if it's all about Jesus, it's all about Jesus in you. It's all about what Jesus did. Here's what Romans says. It says that now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we, are, that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. For the life he lives, he lives to God. Here's the kicker. So you must also consider yourself what? Dead. Not the sum of all of your sin, not the sum of all that you did right or wrong, the sum of everything up until this point, it don't matter. Give it all over to Jesus and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is what we would call the great exchange. You can take all of your sin. This is, this is about a month's worth of mine. You can take all of your sin. Here, I'll give it to Gianna. Because on this stage, we all have gallons and gallons of sin, don't we? And the great exchange is that, yeah, how great is, how great is our sin? Yeah, it's great. But how much greater is the love of God? 
And so in the great exchange, you take what Jesus did for you and I, and you give him your sin, and in turn, he gives you his perfect life. Therefore, when you place your faith in Jesus, God doesn't see all of your sin. He sees the perfect life of Jesus. That's the great exchange. And so as we close out this song, as we close out this experience, I'm going to say a prayer, and I want to ask you, you come with all your pool of sin. This does not define you. It does not have to define you. Is it time this Christmas season to give your life over to Jesus Christ, that great exchange, and say, Jesus, I'm sorry that my sin puts you on a cross. I'm broken by it. Like Levi, I'm leaving it all behind, and I'm coming to you. I'm accepting that life. Help me to live more and more like you day in and day out. Would you guys pray with me? God, I know that there are people right now in this room that are still defined by their sin. And so Father, in this moment, what I, what I would ask of you, Holy Spirit, is that you would overwhelm the individuals in this room to no longer to be defined by what they've done, but to finally be defined by who you are and what you've done. So if that is you in this room, I just simply ask that you would pray something like this in the quietness of where you stand. God, I'm sorry. If all of my sin was on that stage, there would be gallons upon gallons upon gallons upon gallons. And I'm sorry. So Father, I, I accept the fact that your son lived a perfect life in my place. I accept the fact that he does not have one syringe of sin and that he died in my place and that they are nail-pierced hands that prove your love for me. I believe that he died and that he rose again three days later to offer me life, your life in Christ Jesus. So Jesus, I accept your gift. Help me to live more like you day in and day out. In your name, Jesus, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I'm gonna ask on your way out, you please grab one of these Bibles to talk about how to start this relationship with Jesus. Consider starting point that's starting in January. And so for those of you that just prayed this prayer, you get to sing now the closing lines of Only Jesus Now for the first time with true meaning. Let's close out this song.